0: Welcome to this episode of NEF's Telecom Talk, a show where we connect with some of the best minds in telecom to find out what is really going on in the industry. I'm Mike Murphy, founder of NEF, and today we are joined by Marty Hannigan. Marty is one of the foremost experts on the subject of network interconnection.
1: How's it going, Marty? Not too bad, Mike. Thanks for having me today.
0: Marty, it's absolutely my pleasure. You know, I was thinking the other day, uh, when we first met, just to kind of baseline this, um, what do you think the price of T1 internet access was going for?
1: Oh, it it must have been in the hundreds. Um, I don't recall specifically, but I'm sure it was at least in orders of magnitude much more expensive than it is today.
0: Uh, yeah. So the the at that point in time, which was probably you know late, actually mid '90s, probably uh, was about five thousand dollars a month for a one dot five meg. Wow. internet connection so fast forward to today and we'll talk a little bit about your background here marty and you'll do a much better job i think um you know going through that than i will but uh what do you think the buy rate is that you expect to see on internet bandwidth
1: you mean the cost per megabit yeah the whole industry signs deludes and but i can i can talk at ranges but I think that you see the small, the small kind of tiers and the large tiers. And there's really no middle. You're either, you either pay a lot or you don't. And a lot these days is 50 cents. And I think from there it scales down. And when you talk about, you know, hyperscalers and cloud, those are the, those are the ones that really are, are driving the market in terms of, uh, you know, the volumetrics. And I think, I think you see you know, fairly and substantially significant south of 50 cents
0: yeah which you know it's it's one of those things where we always kind of question where's the bottom as you start to look at you know some of the scale and even to you know to smaller, which is gigabit you know is is in that fifty cent range, which you know is is anyways a big difference from where we started yeah. back in in nineteen ninety five so so Marty, if you wouldn't mind, walk through your background a little bit i mean we've we've you know worked together in a number of different places, but talk a little bit about some of the places you've been.
1: Sure. I started in the 80s. Uh, I was with Bose Corporation and my first real exposure to the internet, I ran uh, the NSFnet connection there. Uh, Bose had contracts with the government and um, uh, the method of communications on some of the more advanced projects, especially DARPA and some of the NASA projects that Bose worked on back then uh, was the NSFnet. Um, at the same time, I was part of a group at MIT that spun up a special interest group that was teaching people how to use uh, text-based email, uh, which sounds kind of funny these days, but it's true. Uh, everything was done on the command line, and there were no visuals. There were v- visuals. There were no images, no web pages, no anything. Um, from there, I went straight into the internet business, and I've worked in the internet business ever since and worked at Level 3 Communications for a number of years, one of the largest, if not the largest uh, network in the world. Uh, I worked for a, an Icelandic data center company, bringing high compute and different services and products uh, to Iceland and taking advantage of their, their green energy. And uh, currently I'm with an Amazon company called Twitch, where I'm manager of interconnection and I trailblazing to some extent OTT.
0: Fantastic. And so, you know, I guess if we can start back with, you know, this all started on the Internet side. The Internet gets commercialized. You know and you mentioned DARPAnet and, and some of the the precursors to the commercial internet. The first establishment of the the internet had two major inter exchange points, May, May East and May West. Correct. I guess t- talk a little bit about the progression from that point. What drove some of the you know the, the progression and kind of where we are today?
1: I mean those were really commercial exchanges that were ways to make the internet more efficient. Uh, The companies that were providing Internet services at the time were really small, and um, they were beholden, uh, you know, and no surprise, the infrastructure in the country was built by, um, you know, the the Bell operating companies for, for, you know, all intents and purposes. And um, from there, cooperation took hold. The Internet has always been about cooperation, and providers and and content networks alike, and, and even enterprises, typically work together to make sure that traffic can be delivered, you know, amongst the networks. And, you know, it grew from that initial cooperation. From there, you saw uh, Equinix take hold. They they also went into the competitive internet exchange business and provided ways to work around the regional Bell operating companies, which at that point had, you know, converted themselves or been ordered to convert into standalone companies. You saw the advance of uh, competitive Lex uh like XCOM, another company that we work together at. And you saw internet exchanges, you know, take even more hold there. Again, it was to work work around expensive transit. And and just in case you don't know what an internet exchange is or your audience doesn't, um, an internet exchange is just a switch fabric that um networks connect to and exchange the routes amongst themselves, the the path to and from them, so that they can avoid sending some of that traffic destined for each other's networks in typically locally or regionally across that internet exchange and and save money. Um, And then, you know, as we've kind of moved into today, things have changed substantially. And, you know, even though the the internet is about cooperation, it's also about economics and money matters. Um, You know, you can only cooperate for so long when it becomes unprofitable, then, you know, cooperation kind of changes and uh, you move on to your next project. Today, um, you know, at least in my opinion, in North America, internet exchanges are becoming less uh, less of the focus, uh, content networks and eyeball networks, networks that serve end users like Comcast or RCN or others um, have, for, all, you know, for lack of a better term, smartened up and began to directly interconnect. And with that happening, the need for an exchange becomes less and less now. I'm sure there are people that would disagree with me on that that you know they would prefer that we would all continue to cooperate on internet exchanges. but if I don't need middlemen between myself and where my content is going the the middle kind of portion of the internet doesn't really offer any value and you know from my point of view, that's kind of what's happening in the internet exchange space today
0: so so companies like Netflix that are responsible for a huge amount of traffic on the internet. And they've got users that are, you know, high bandwidth applications for the most part spread out all over every corner of the the globe. Um, You know, what's their strategy to to improve the performance for their end users? And I know it's a very broad question, but, you know, help quantify that a little bit.
1: Sure. And I think that their strategy is, you know, most other strategy eliminate the middleman where possible, which increases reliability. It gives you a little bit more control because there's a direct relationship versus an indirect relationship, and direct interconnection is really the way to go. Um, it's their strategy, and I'm sure it's you know ninety, if not all, content network strategy these days.
0: And so, when you say middleman, who do you mean by the middleman?
1: Uh, transit networks, uh, internet exchange providers, anyone that gets in the in the in between the relationship between. Uh, you know where the content is coming from, whether it be the cloud or uh, you know a network like Spotify, and where it's going, which would be the users' uh, networks like Comcast and RCN, uh, Charter, Cox, Frontier, etc.
0: Gotcha. So, so the idea being that you know the the you know and, and we'll talk a bit about if it's okay with you, we'll talk a little, a little bit about cloud and how that's really changed. I think just the the network landscape itself, but if Netflix, Netflix is hosted in a, you know, a set of servers somewhere, be it public or private cloud, and that information and those, you know, titles and all of that content needs to get to me sitting in my home here in Massachusetts and I'm looking to download things. The idea is that the connection goes directly from Netflix servers to my I happen to be a Verizon FIOS customer to Verizon and Fios delivers it to me at my home. Correct. Gotcha. And so therefore you're not using the internet exchange points where you would go to a common switch fabric and hand traffic from whatever provider Netflix was using to Verizon at that point, and then Verizon would carry it to me.
1: Yes, that's correct. And and let me just caveat that with it's mostly correct. So while I'm devaluing or saying that internet exchanges have less value than they have in the past. What really dictates the value of uh, you know, a platform between two parties is, one, what's going across at the traffic, and in most cases having a middleman is not effective. In some cases there may be no other way to effectively reach another party which may be the downstream of another network that is connected to the exchange. And the concept there, and so let's assume that that's the most expensive path and you could get to that other network uh, over transit much cheaper, but the exchange happens to give you uh, a closer uh, reach to that network, a, a either a shorter, uh, what they call AS path, which basically the internet operates on, uh, you know, routing tables, which is much like a, a street sign that tells a, a packet which way to turn when it's heading for its direction. Sometimes the street is longer, sometimes it's not. And occasionally the longer street is the faster route. That could be over a transit connection. Typically, uh, not always, but typically the shorter path is the better performing. And in the case of what some of us in the industry call golden packets, cost doesn't really matter. So a golden packet may be um, some financially related transaction that the packets being exchanged, even with a middleman in between perform better and they're, they're worth they're, you know, they're economically valuable so that uh, the small additional cost to increase the performance is worth it. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And and Marty, you also summed up my academic career. You said I was mostly correct. <laughs> Sorry. Which is, that's, my, that's my academic career right there. So I appreciate it. No, I, I think that, that that makes a ton of sense. And And so, you know, a couple of things come up in regular discussion with our client base. And the first thing is is the idea of latency and how latency impacts. And, and this is, you know, less about, you know, the, the over-the-top content distribution type network and more about an enterprise network. So if I'm an enterprise and I've got um, all of my storage uh, in AWS, I've got, you know, my CRM system is Salesforce. I've got collaboration tools that are on another platform. And from my location, my employees need to get to all these different tools. They talk about cloud interconnects and latency. And, you know, I guess if you can talk a little bit about how, you know, where things are and how they interconnect impacts latency.
1: So latency is a function of distance and which is basically the physics of the way the Internet works. And the further away something is, the more latency that's introduced into the connectivity which translates to the user as, you know, their perception of either slow or fast, assuming that uh, their computer is not the culprit in in any kind of, you know, performance condition or issue. In in that case, it really depends on the application. So not all applications need low latency connectivity. So, for example, you mentioned Netflix. Um, Netflix, because of what they serve and the type of content they serve, typically what they call video on demand, which is stored, and then it's retrieved and forwarded to the user on demand. It it has you know built into the system so to speak. Um, it can tolerate you know high amounts of latency. The the code on uh, people's computers and in their browsers and in Netflix's clients allow for these high tolerances, which by the way saves them money. They can typically pick the cheapest locations to serve people from, and as long as it's within their latency tolerances, and assume that those tolerances are somewhere between 80 and 120 milliseconds, that's just fine for them. So you're never going to find Netflix, for example, clamoring to, you know, get as close to the user as humanly possible. Um, You will find them trying to be centrally located in, in a metropolitan area where the interconnect costs are as low as possible and where they would much prefer to directly interconnect with other networks. And you'll also find that, you know, many other content type networks with you know, on-demand type type of content don't necessarily have the zero millisecond application. I don't know where that is. Um, I'm waiting for someone to explain to me um, who needs that. Right. Um, on the other hand, um, content networks are looking for, you know, improvements in latency, and they typically can tolerate uh, 8 to 10 milliseconds round trip, uh, which usually, and I'm sure you have some experience with this, you know, translates to within 80 kilometers of, of a metropolitan area where... You know coincidentally all the eyeballs are that need to be served typically
0: right yeah the the center of population is typically where what you're talking about there yeah so marty you know and again maybe you can break this down as well so if um i'm a client and i've got you know my stuff stored and i'm going to use this term that drives everybody crazy in the industry which is in the cloud uh and i've got you know my my user population is you know in an office type location you talk about direct connect and, and you know really it, it how does that benefit the end user
1: so direct connect is not really my expertise in terms of the cloud but typically an enterprise that's not in a metropolitan area if i if i heard you correctly is probably not going to be able to avail themselves of a direct connect into anybody's cloud um there are a few circumstances that you know need to be in place on the ground to enable you know more remote connectivity the first is um, a data center, obviously, that, that has reachability back into the cloud. And then secondly, um, customer demand. And then you would see a company like, uh, packet fabric come into the data center and bring those direct connect services in and then be able to, you know, uh, provide that kind of access to enterprise customers. Typically, um, my understanding is that enterprise customers, customers that are more remote than the metropolitan area are seeing access to the cloud via, uh their internet service providers so typical typical and classic ip services
0: yeah which you know again the drawbacks on you know on some of the internet services are you know there's not an sla it's not um, a guaranteed connection so you know as you go through your applications some to your point are more latency sensitive to than to that than others and so what we've seen is that certain clients um, if they are worried about latency, will look to avoid the public internet and have a direct connection or direct feed um, to their application so that they can control more of the, the quality of that connection.
1: From that perspective, that's absolutely what direct connect is all about. And if you think about it and you uh, rewind back to our converse, or you know, our initial conversation, um, direct connect is also a form of internet bypass. And I think that as you've seen the internet evolve, it's always been about bypass. So there, there are two terms that I always think about. Uh, there are one, extrapolation, which basically means looking forward and seeing where might the next edge of the Internet be, not to bring up the, the, you know, the buzzword uh, too early in the call. But secondly, um, bypass, and a bypass is basically direct connect, whether it's you know, Ethernet into the cloud or um, a private network interconnection at a data center from a content network to an eyeball network. Um, those are both forms of internet bypass and direct connect.
0: And so, internet bypass. If if we stick with that for a second, you know, really, there's probably two reasons. It sounds like for internet bypass. Um, first is the economics. So if you can find a less expensive way than than buying more expensive um, transit, and the second would be for network performance. And it seems like depending on, I guess, talk to me a little bit about that. Is that is that sound accurate?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's accurate. And to boil it down even more, it goes back to our conversation relating to middlemen. Um, When you can eliminate the middlemen and connect directly, um, you've effectively established a direct connection and you've bypassed the internet. You've also reduced the number of components, typically, the number of components between you and the party that you want to talk to. So there may be less routers, there may be less switches, there may be less interconnections themselves, typically. Um, You need, you know, an interconnection from yourself to a panel, to the internet exchange point or to the, you know, the internet service provider. Then the service provider has cross-connects from you to their equipment, to other ports. And all these things come at both a performance cost and, and a reliability cost. And the more equipment you can remove from the equation, the more reliable or the faster you increase your reliability. It's still true today. And, you know, it's been a while since I studied it, but trust me. Um, I I know this well, um, the number one cause of instability on the Internet is people. And if they leave the equipment alone and don't touch it when it doesn't need to be touched, uh, things just kind of work.
0: Marty, if you think about the Internet of Things and 5G networks, and you mentioned Edge, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on where the network needs to go to support, you know, as you look at extrapolation and you look at the next – Points that you have to interconnect in the next wave of traffic. What are your thoughts there?
1: So I do see, you know, from the perspective of another extrapolation, I guess, uh, you know, I almost, I like to call it edge cubed, where we started in our day, Mike, um, with East Coast, West Coast, academic networks, and kind of Chicago in the middle. And as the internet began to grow up, uh, we went to, you probably remember the term NFL cities, where uh, typically there was an M- NFL team because they follow the same rules in terms of you know how many people are in the area and uh, you know what's the market available to to buy tickets to come and see my game. Same for the internet, but now that the cities are um, for all intents and purposes pretty full. I mean, if you look around Boston, uh, there are lesser and lesser cranes. There's lesser and lesser space to stand up towers, and you've pretty you've you know pretty well packed the city. You're also seeing, you know, and I think the term from my 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 time at MIT Center for Real Estate is uh, polymorphic population movement, and that's a fancy term to describe millennials and and what's happening there. Um, for as an example, um, I've been in in the market for a new house, and um, I've been shocked that uh, not one of these houses I've looked at recently have a bookcase. They've all been refurbished, and Uh, finally yesterday uh, uh, an agent told me they don't have a bookcase because they don't read books they 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 only own electronic books and they're marketing for the millennials and so it's a stretch for someone you know my age to to say think like wow no one has any books um this is the effect of the millennial and the same thing's happening in the internet business and they're coming in from i guess you know the rural areas and whatnot and converging on cities and not only You know, as well established metropolitan areas like New York and Chicago and Dallas, but Boston, um, I think a few more examples would be Charlottesville, um, Jacksonville, Florida, Tampa. Uh, And you're starting to see a lot of these cities, you know, increase rapidly. And when you talk about small percentages of population increase, they're really exponential as they go along because they're compounding year over year. And if you get, you know, something like a three to 4% population increase that, um, you know, it's predicted predicted out over a longer term. You can rapidly increase from eight hundred thousand to you know one point two million in in less than a in less than the span of a decade. And and I think that you know as we watch the edge progress, I think what we're seeing, and at least from my my front row seat on the internet, um, in, you know in general, I think that hyperscalers are going to keep hyperscaling. I don't think that there's any doubt there. I think that. To some extent, there's some insulation from any kind of economic woes and maybe, you know, maybe not all the products that, you know, many of the cloud folks uh, are selling. And I'm not speaking for any cloud operators whatsoever, but um, I think that if there were any kind of changes in the economy, it only gets better for the cloud for people to, you know, continue to cut costs and, and, you know, get rid of their computer rooms and get rid of their servers and try and save a little bit of money. I think the middle layer, some of the data centers that we see. That we call edge now. I expect there to be some consolidation and then edge. You know I'm still really kind of working out what my vision there is, but I do think you'll see some growth, uh, you know, in some of these, you know, small and not giant metro areas with populations, you know, closer to a million that because of the need to deliver video and to cut cost of delivering video, uh, and other applications, uh, you, you will see some growth there. What that's going to look like and what the business model is going to be, you cannot tell by the current lineup. Uh, I think that it's pretty fuzzy, but with 5G coming, and it's not quite here. There's a lot of buzz around 5G. I don't think it's the killer application, at least not yet. Um, I do think, though, that uh, IoT and mobile edge computing are going to drive things. And and when I talk about mobile edge, I don't mean cars. Uh, I do mean autonomy to some extent, but I think cars and self-flying things are, are a little ways off, uh, probably a little longer off than 5G. I think that some of the ethics around those things are going to need to be worked out or continue to be worked out. And I think you're going to see uh, the requirement for some regulation. I mean, you know, if a car has to make a decision that might cost somebody, um, some, you know, cost some liability, I think it's going to need to be a little bit clearer. Uh, as to who's going to assume that liability and, you know, where where the accountability is going to be as well. So I think that the extrapolation will happen. I think it's going to go outside the metro. I think that there is no, you know, clear killer app, although I think that Mobile Edge Compute is in the lead, and I think there may be a few others there, but I think only time will tell, and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how this all kind of – how this all really does turn out.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's been been interesting as we've seen more um – you know, even working with large Fortune, you know, five hundred type clients, they've gone from environments where applications lived in centralized locations to now pushing those applications and a lot of the data close to the relevant work group. So, in other words, if one group uses a certain application a lot within their, you know, day-to-day business practice, instead of having that, you know, centralized in New Jersey and the group is in singapore they'll move that application closer to singapore and replicate back on a delta change basis as opposed to trying to feed everything back and forth across the wire and so as you get into more of these applications you know that you you mentioned autonomous driving cars and i agree i think it's more of a a government governance issue than a technology issue but once you start to deploy some of these more local bandwidth intensive applications where It feels like a lot of the things that we had done for a period of time were pulling content into areas. And now I think we're going to be pushing content around areas or outside areas. Something's got to change. And so if you look at that, you know, paradigm, I guess where where do those changes happen? I mean, is it more of the local connections and exchange of data locally? Is it more of a regional? I mean, what's your thoughts there?
1: I think you touched on it with respect to the edge itself i think and again i i do agree with you on the autonomy and the governance issues i think that there's a a lot to work out there and even then um that's so complicated that all of that's going to happen on board i don't see that um cars and autonomy are actually going to drive a lot when when it's here those systems will be carried on board the flying stuff there would be some weight concerns um not quite sure how that'll be worked out but cars are definitely cars are on board today and I don't see that changing anytime soon. With the rest of it, I mean, I think your Singapore example is good. I think that there's some still some, you know, technology uses to be worked out. I think there's some enablement to happen. Um, I'm not, you know, 100% certain myself how that's going to pan out, but I think that, uh, I think you were going in the right direction.
0: So here's the the kind of closing question and and it's a tough one. So work with me on it as we, you know, kind of, suspend some disbelief here i come to you and i say marty i've got the newest greatest social media application that is going to generate just a huge amount of content that needs to be distributed all over the place um what's the network of choice i mean how are you going to build it Are you going to base it all in the cloud are you going to you know regionalize it you know and again it's 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 a tough question because it's very vague but you know, give me some thoughts in general on if you were building a network today that's going to look at extrapolation and a lot of these things, these other factors, what would your thoughts
1: be? I mean, so that, that is a, a fairly complicated question, but it's easily answerable by a few, you know, sub-questions. And I think the first one is, what's your time to market? I mean, if you need to be to market immediately, you know, you hire me, for example, to be your network advisor. I'm going to tell you to go to Equinix and deploy immediately into the cloud and um, come up to speed as fast as possible and with as much uh, horsepower as you need to get out there, especially if it's, you know, a killer application. My first question might be, uh, how are you going to make money? Uh, But my my second question would be, you know, what's your time to market? And, you know, many of the big businesses have grown up this way, rush into the data centers that are the most well interconnected, get as well interconnected as possible, um, and then kind of Back into, you know, a cost cutting mode and, you know, developing you know, your own backbones and things. I mean, Nakamai didn't, didn't have a backbone until, you know, a few years ago. And, uh, you, and they grew up in the internet just like that. Rush out to data centers, deploy servers, use the internet as their backbone. And then, you know, kind of back out of these costs that, that, you know, are proven to be for at that kind of scale, uh, a little easier to absorb when you do it yourself.
0: You know, Marty, I think that's a great answer to the question. And as we start to move forward, I'm real curious myself to see how all of these efficiencies and interconnections happen. And and what we've recognized now is, you know, the location of the content and the infrastructure used to interconnect it is really it speaks to the deployment, both cost and performance. And, and it's starting to be that, you know, kind of that optical, uh, optimal mix of the two that that is really driving people's decisions on where they put infrastructure. So before we wrap up here, Marty, anything else, you know, relevant that, that you'd like to add to the discussion?
1: Nope. I think uh, everyone should still keep their uh, popcorn machines full and uh, be ready to watch how this all transpires. I think that uh, while, um, you know, at least from my perspective, and I think this year is my 30th year in the business um, I'm not bored (laughs) I, uh, I pull the popcorn out at least once a month to watch how some of these things go down and how they're going to turn out. I think it's all about the applications today. I think the internet itself, the, the infrastructure is, you know, extremely well understood. Um, we know what it costs. We know where it goes and, and we know how to configure it. And I think that, um, you know, demand and applications are really what's making it all unique. I mean, I told you at the beginning of the call that I was teaching people how to use, uh, text based email. Uh, you know, way back in the eighties. And today um, I I was talking to a few uh, teenagers and um, they're not using email at all. They use tools like Instagram and Twitter and direct messaging to to, to connect with each other. And um, they're effectively using applications for everything. So um, it's definitely going to be interesting. It's really awesome to have a, a front row seat on the internet like, uh, like most of us do. And uh, I can't wait.
0: Marty, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, That's going to do it for this episode of Telecom Talk. I'm Mike Murphy. For more information on today's subject, please visit anyfiber.com.